everybody, this is Geneva of Geneva's Closet Talk Show. Please make sure you like and share this video and subscribe to Geneva's Closet if you haven't already done so right here on YouTube. And you can follow me on Facebook at what? At Geneva's Closet. And you can email me at Geneva's Closet 22 at gmail.com. Now, let's get into the news. Did you know that I thought that this was going to be the third and final reading of Men Will Lie When the Truth Will Do, The King, His Queen, and His Other Woman, written by the author Terry Smith, which is the ex-boo thing of actor, comedian, and host Steve Harvey? Well, look, people, there's just absolutely too much tea in this book for me not to practically give it all to you. But I hope that you done checked out the other videos that I done made about Steve Harvey, because at this point, it is practically a series, people. And make sure you go and check out part two of Men Will Lie When the Truth Will Do, The King, His Queen, and His Other Woman, entitled Steve Harvey Sad Chicks Meet Up. Nevertheless, if you didn't know, you gonna learn today. So check this out. When we got to his room, he didn't turn on any lights. The only artificial light came from the digital clock on the nightstand next to the bed. The drapes were drawn so the moon's glow shone through the windows. He put my bag down in the lounging area and plopped himself in an oversized plush chair next to the window and across from the sofa. I laid my purse on top of the small table in the middle. Then, without saying a word, I lay down on my side on the sofa watching him. The way the moonlight came in through the window lit one side of his face and shoulder. The other side was dark, so all I could see was the outline of his face and the jacket of his suit. It was erotic. Lying down and watching Stefan sitting only ten feet away, that surreal scene made me think of a fantasy I had for a long time. Stefan really looked good sitting there, like a great man, a thinker, a man of power, and I liked it. He watched me, and I him. It was the moment when I realized that we as a couple were finally in sync. Before that night, whenever he finished his show and we got back to the hotel, I would start talking before the room door was opened, never giving him time to release and exhale from his performance high. He talks for a living. A little peace and quiet means a lot to him. It had taken me four years to respect that. I wasn't keeping track of time, so I'm not sure how long we stayed that way before he spoke. Carrie, you look nice. You really do. He shifted a little in the chair. Thank you for coming, he said, opening his legs wider. I was smiling, not because of the things that he said, but because how he said without words, bring your ass over here. That's what he said when he opened his legs wider. I leaned over and put one hand and knee down on the carpet, then dragged the others down to join their mates. On my hands and knees, I crawled slowly over to him. I stopped when my face was two inches from his crotch. He reached down and unbuckled his belt, then unzipped his pants and slid his butt down to the edge of the chair, opening his legs wider. I reached up and gave him a kiss and removed his jacket, throwing it over the sofa. After I did that, I took his hands and put them up to my mouth. I licked his palms, sliding his fingers one at a time in and out of my mouth. I unclipped his cufflinks with my teeth. That's when I noticed that the time on his watch said 2.30. 
I put his hands on top of his knees and tucked his cufflinks down in my bustier, then slowly unzipped and removed my jacket. When I exposed my red lace bra, his legs trembled and his knees swayed back and forth. I let my fingers take a trip from the top of his body down to his shoes. One pluck at a time, I unlaced and removed his shoes and socks, replacing them side by side next to the chair. His hands grabbed the hair on the top of my head. I reached up and said, no, let me please you. He blurted something like, oh shit. I ran my hands up his thighs, feeling his leg muscles contract when I touched the area around his crotch. I whispered, relax, and he did. Then I reached up, loosened his tie, lifted it over his head, and dropped it to the floor. After that, I unbuttoned his shirt. He leaned forward so I could take it off, and then it joined the tie. My fingernails drew circles on his chest. When I did that, he clapped my waist with his legs and pushed my face down to his crotch. I slid my hand down his body, inside his pants, underneath his boxes, then opened my mouth and obliged. While I was on my knees, bent over, giving him a blowjob, he reached over and unzipped the back of my skirt. He moved my skirt down and slapped me on my ass twice with his right hand. I heard... I'm about to nut, and his legs clamped around the back of my waist. He grabbed my hair trying to pull me up, but he couldn't. I started rubbing him faster. When I did that, it gave him what he'd been waiting for, because he made a sound that sounded like a squeal. Afterwards, he released the hold across my back, and his body relaxed. Using his legs for support, I pushed myself up to stand. I let my skirt drop and kicked it over to the side next to the table. I wasn't wearing any panties, so there weren't any to be removed. Other than the moaning, heavy panting, and a few words from me giving him directions, we still weren't talking. I reached my hands down for his. He put his hands on top of mine and pulled himself up, standing close, face to face. He encircled my waist. I kissed his chest, his neck, and reached up on my toes and kissed his mouth. Even when I wore heels, I had to stand on the tips of my toes to reach his lips. He willingly allowed me to remove his pants and boxers. Then I pushed him back down in the chair. He was completely naked except for the watch that he was wearing. I stood between his legs with my legs slightly open and watched him watching me. There was no longer a light across his face from the moon. The room was dark except for a dim light coming from the digital clock on the nightstand next to the bed. But I could still see him clearly. Keeping my eyes on him, I started rubbing my hands up and down the front of my body, moving my hips side to side a few times. When I saw him touching himself, I turned around, touched my waist with the palm of my hands, and then slid them down and around to my ass for a squeeze. Oh, damn. Oh, shit, was his strangled reaction. After that, I bent down and bagged onto him, straddling his legs. From here, I could see the time on the clock over by the bed. It was 3.59 a.m. displayed across it. We both came together. Afterwards, I fell forward and put my hands down and rolled over onto the floor. 
He was out cold. I laid there on top of his pants, curled up on the floor in front of him, and fell asleep. When I woke up, his foot was resting on top of my right hip. I rolled back some, and his foot dropped to the floor. It was six o'clock in the morning, and light from the early sunrise was coming through the window. Amazingly, my shoes were still on my feet. I slipped them off. After that, I stretched a couple of times, then got up and went to the bathroom to pee. When I came out of the bathroom, I looked over at Stefan's body. It resembled a rag doll that was tossed into a chair without being dressed. His eyes were closed, head leaning to one side, arms and legs in every direction. It was through, or at least he thought I was through with him. I walked over to the windows and closed the drapes, then walked over behind the chair where Stefan sat and kissed him on the forehead and shoulders. That didn't wake him. So I walked around, stood in front of him, and pulled on his hands to wake him. It wasn't easy, but after the third or fourth pull, he opened one eye, then the other. There was a little resistance from him, but holding on to my hands, he got up and followed me. No doubt, he thought that I was leading him over to the bed. I drew him over to the sofa instead, and he laid back down on his back. I straddled his waist, leaned over, and started kissing him everywhere. It took a lot of kissing, touching, licking, and movement from me before I got the reaction from him that I was hoping for. When he grabbed my hips and pulled me up on top of him, I knew that even though his eyes were closed and he looked asleep, other parts of him were awake. That was what I needed from him before our time was over. I needed to hear, I'm about to nut, nut, nut. It was now nine o'clock in the morning, and after several nudges from me, he got up and stumbled into the bathroom. While he was there, I picked up his clothes, put them on a hanger, and hung them in his bag. He splashed some water across his face and came out. Then he pulled a shirt and a pair of slacks from his garment bag and put them on. Good morning, I said, handing him his shoes. He sat down to put them on. When I was zipping up his garment bag, he finally spoke. What's up? Do you need some money to pay some bills? Yes, money would help a lot. He grabbed his garment bag and a small leather clutch and opened it. He pulled out some money and placed it on the bed. I saw that there were $100 bills, but I didn't know how many. He walked over to the door. Carrie? Thank you for coming to see me. I love you. And I want you to do something for me. And what would that be, Big Daddy? I teased while running my index finger up his zipper pants. I would like you to move to Los Angeles to be with me. Or at least think about it. What? You're kidding, right? I leaned against the wall next to the door, arms folded, and pressed my shoulder and head against it. He gave me a peck on the lips. No. I'm not. Sometimes I really miss you when I'm on the road and you aren't there. You've been there for me from the beginning and now I want to take care of you. I was so engulfed in what he was saying that when the phone rang, it startled me and I jumped. Are you okay? Why are you so jumpy? Yes, I'm fine. I guess it just kind of threw me when I heard, I want you to move to LA because I want to take care of you coming from your mouth. The phone stopped ringing, and I reached up with the palms of my hands to touch his cheeks. Stefan, I love you so much, and for that, 
I have sacrificed far more than you will ever know to your career and happiness. Damn it, there's that ringing again. That's probably Persia calling from the lobby. You better go. Thank you for last night, the money, and I smiled and said, for everything this morning. Yeah, well, listen, just think about what I said. I have to go. He asked me to call him when I got home, then he left. Long after the sounds of his footsteps faded down the hall, I could still hear his voice in my head. I strode over to the bed as I leaped on top of the comforter, kicking and screaming with joy. Most of the money fell off the bed onto the floor, so I picked it up before going into the bathroom to take a shower. After I took a shower and dressed, I caught a flight back to Atlanta. If his satisfaction was in question, I say that the $20 bills that he dropped on the bed before he left was proof enough that I did not disappoint. Baby, you're lying. After Stefan had asked me for the fifth time to move to Los Angeles, and after discussing the cons with my girlfriends, like being so far from my family, my house, and business, I gave in. I agreed to move to Los Angeles and be closer to him because of the pros, the love we shared, and his soon-to-be ex-wife who lived in Oakland, where I wanted her to stay. So, I sold my concierge business for a fair price. I also sold my house and then spent three weeks with my mother. She really enjoyed our time together. Five months later, after his cable network special, I packed up whatever I needed for the road and drove to Hollywood to be with him for good. Whatever didn't fit in my 92 Volkswagen Golf, he had arranged to be delivered later that week. He'd purchase a quaint little two-bedroom, two-bath, Spanish-style clay roof house for us. I didn't care that it wasn't a new house. What I cared about was that it wasn't his or mine, but ours together. It had rows of red carnations lining the walkway and flawlessly manicured deep green ivy that clung to the right side of the house. How I loved that home. That's what it was, a home. He kept the condo penthouse in Beverly Hills where he stayed before I moved out there. His private home office was still there, so I didn't mind when he went out to take care of business. When he is working on his sitcom or touring, most of the time he and his personal assistant Michelle work from the studio office, but she has access to both. I moved in the day after the painter finished the interior and the same afternoon that the hardwood floors were buffed. The gardener, Mr. Lopez, had placed a small arrangement of fresh-cut flowers from the yard on the mantel in the living room under a large wall mirror. I sat down on a crushed velvet ottoman next to the open window, stroking into its plush sides while I took into the yard and view of valley and beyond. This is the perfect place for us to start a new chapter in our relationship. Marriage for sure. And hopefully children to follow. I was still busy unpacking my things and deciding where to put what I had and what more I need to make our new home complete when the phone rang. It was my girlfriend, Tina, who lives back east. Tina's a really sharp sister. She's single, the owner of a culinary school, and lives alone in a $2.5 million home. Hey girl, how's it going out there on the west coast? Oh, it's great. 
although I really haven't had a chance to get out, I'm still trying to get situated. Damn. Why did I pick up the phone? I love Tina, but she talks too long. Well, girl, I have to come out there sometime to visit you and Stephane. I could tell by the casualness of her voice that Tina was gearing up to the real reason for her call. By the way, how is Stephane? Girl, he's fine. My heart beats faster just mentioning his name. He's out on the road right now. Really? Um, I can hear the skepticism in her tone. Has he resolved things with that other woman? I stopped pulling yards of bubble wrap out of the box. Tina, why would you ask me something like that? Because Carrie, she said with an exasperated sigh, I just heard one of the local radio DJs send congratulations to the comedian Stefan Harvell and his wife, who just had a baby girl. Tina? A baby? I bent over with an arm wrapped around my stomach. You're lying. You are lying? No. Tina's voice was fading in and out like bad reception on a radio station when it was just my ears that didn't want to hear what she was saying. That's what he said. N not again. No. He can't have done it to me again. My knees hit the floor and the phone fell out of my hand. I was screaming and crying, pounding my fist on the floor. How could he? I just moved here. I left everything. My family, friends, job, my life. For a lying bastard? Carrie, Carrie, girl, pick up the phone. Can you hear me? Carrie? I couldn't stand up. My body felt heavy and numb. I crawled on my hands and knees to the phone. Tina, I have to go. Are you all right, girl? She was my friend, but right now, I wanted to be alone. Yes, I'll talk to you later. You're sure? I mumbled a reply through numb lips, tears dripping onto the newly polished wood beneath my cheek. Yes, I'm sure. I clicked the phone off and the answering machine on. Then I curled up in the discarded paper and plastic and turned my mind off. I laid amongst the unpacked crates and boxes for three days, crawling out only to the bathroom, then back to the privacy of my pain. On the fourth morning, I sat up because I heard the phone ringing. I stared at it while the machine picked it up. I heard Stefan's voice demanding, begging, where are you, Carrie? I miss you. Why haven't you returned my calls? Baby, I've called your cell, your pager. I can't seem to reach you. I'm worried. I'm on the road and I don't know what's happening, Carrie. Please call me. I just want to let you know that I'm sorry if I hurt you. And if I could change anything, I would. Please believe me. It's you that I love. I should have thanked him. It was being furious that finally got me up and moving. He had the audacity to call and express his love for me. Son of a bitch. That call was just another attempt to manipulate me. I called him back, but it went into voicemail. But I let him have it anyway. Don't call this house confessing your love for me. I had to hear that your wife just had a baby from a DJ. You've been telling me for over a year that the two of you aren't together. Just how does she manage to have a baby? Or is she an elephant? Don't call me anymore. Sick with rage and grief, I picked up the answer machine and threw it against the wall. Early the next morning, he showed up on the doorstep. He'd canceled last night's performance to come home. Yes, he could have walked in. He had a key, but he didn't. The bell rang and he asked me to let him back into my life. I, le I leaned on the doorframe and cried. 
slid to the floor and let the tears drip on the brass doorstep I picked up at a quirky little furniture shop in Atlanta before I left. I could have turned him away, and I truly believe he'd have gone. That was his way. He always had to be the injured party. Even if I won by his leaving, I lost in the end. We talked most of the day before he had to leave again early that evening. He was scared to tell me that she was pregnant because he didn't want to lose me. How ironic. When I was pregnant, I was afraid to tell him because, oh hell, what does it matter now? This wasn't about me and his secret baby. One of the points that he kept repeating was that she isn't here with him in the house. I was. Agreeing to move to Los Angeles to be with him was a decision that I made because I believed that he would leave her if I gave up my life to be with him. My mother was hesitant about me selling the house and business and leaving everything that was me to be with Stefan before his annulment was final. But she understood that I am an adult and this is my life to live. My mother's prayers are with me. She accepts Stefan into the family because of my love for him. Stefan put his marital and baby situation in very blunt terms. She is my wife and that's my child. They are my problem. They have nothing to do with us. Please give us more time to work things out. When it came down to being logical and seeing things as they really are, I sometimes clung to my own idealistic interpretations. It was apparent to me that he had feelings for both of us, but I was unclear as to how much he felt for each of us or in what way he figured in his life. He left with things unresolved, but at least we were talking. Soon the holidays were upon us. It was my first holiday season in Los Angeles, which can be a pretty depressing place if you don't have friends and family around you. I only been there for a couple of months, so I hadn't had time to make many friends, and I wasn't sure if I would be able to go home for Christmas to see my family, so I just settled in for a long, lonely holiday. I found a church that was very moving and spirit-filled for me. I love going to church. One day, my pastor said something about forgiveness and forgiving others and giving others the chance to say, I'm sorry. When I was in church listening to that sermon, I thought about him. I thought about how mad and angry I was. I thought about how difficult life had gotten for him and how this holiday season would be different because we weren't together. So I called him. His answering machine picked up the, the call. Maybe that was a good thing in case I lost my nerve. Hey, if you'd like to meet for dinner before the holidays, give me a call and we can arrange something. He returned my call less than an hour later. We arranged a time and place to meet. He arrived at the restaurant first. I knew he would because he was eager to get dinner out the way. His arriving before me was in the plan because making an interest for him was part of the fantasy. When I arrived at the restaurant, I gave the matriarch my name and dazzling smile, then watched him almost trip over his feet as we wound our way through the dining room. Stefan was sitting at a secluded and intimate table in the back next to a fireplace that glowed gently and a large window that gave a panoramic view of the city skyline. The ambiance was very intimate and elegant. I had selected a long, 
plunging neckline, spaghetti strap chiffon dress with a chiffon scarf around my neck. The deep purple fabric whispered when I walked and clung to every curve he was examining from across the room. My makeup was flawless and my hair was styled with a casual abandon. I wore high heel open toe sandals so my recent toenail polish would be sure to show. No matter what was on the menu, I was making sure that dessert would be at the top of his list. His eyes never left me as I walked to his table. The matriarch pulled my chair from the table. Stefan stood slowly, giving me the respect he always showed in front of others. Once I was seated and the matriarch picked up the linen napkin from the china place setting in front of me and placed it across my lap, he sat down. The tight smell and the way his eyes glistened in the light from the fireplace gave him away. I could always tell when he was trying to control his lust and had crafted my appearance to ensure that control was near its breaking point. Carrie, I hope you don't mind. I took the liberty of ordering your favorite appetizer, and for an entree, I chose the fried lobster tail with a Caesar salad. Will those choices work for you? Yes, thank you. Those sound wonderful. I wasn't sure if he was in a hurry to get through the dinner because he had hopes of having me for dessert. But I came to get answers, and his reply would determine whether the dessert would be prepared from the restaurant's menu or mine. I ordered an orange, pineapple, and cranberry juice mix to drink, and he ordered another Perrier, whatever. Neither of us indulged in liquor, so whatever we talked about wasn't going to be influenced by too much alcohol and too little thoughts. I went straight to the point. Why did you lie about your wife's pregnancy? Stefan picked up his napkin and started unfolding, then folding it. I didn't like Harry. You asked me if I wanted more children, and I said yes. I wouldn't mind having another son. You never asked me if my wife was pregnant, and I never told you she wasn't. So how's that a lie? It ain't what you asked, but how you ask it. Yes, that's true, I conceded, leaning over the white linen tablecloth so our faces were closer. But how could you leave me to find out something like that on my own? Half the world knew before I did. You told me that the two of you were not together and you were getting an annulment. You told me that you were unhappy and now you're having a baby. The waiter sat our drinks down on the table in front of us, along with a shell dish holding six large coconut shrimp appetizers. I could feel the panic rising in me as I gripped the table. He'd never looked up. His eyes were now on a table knife that he turned over and over, watching the gleam as it caught the light from the fireplace. Just because people have kids doesn't mean that they're happy in their marriage. You don't know how many times we talk about just walking away from this thing. It ain't like we don't discuss it almost every day. And ask what the hell have we gotten ourselves into? When he glanced at me briefly, I took that opportunity to toy with him a little. Really, I said sarcastically, and still, the two of you are married with the kid. He shrugged, then turned his attention to the fireplace. I don't have to go home much because, excuse me, the waiter interrupted to pick up the barely touched appetizer. These plates are still a little warm to the touch. He set our entrees down and topped up our water goblets. Thank you, I said, nodding at the waiter as he turned and wound his way back through the thinning crowd of diners. So, finish what you were saying, Stefan. I stuck my finger into the mashed potatoes, watching him watch me trace a circle in them. 
Next, with my finger, I dabbed a little right in the center of the top of my lip and with my tongue reached up and licked it off. He was salivating. You were saying? Uh, I forgot. He kept gulping his water and swallowing even when he put nothing in his mouth. You were saying something like how many times you thought about just walking away or not having to go back to her, I said. Then looked at him in that all-female way that a female uses to tell a man that she wants him. Um, yeah, I heard him exhale. The point that I was trying to make was I don't have to go home much because I'm on the road most of the time. So you know me, I just deal with it. I make the best out of it because shit, I'm in it now. Who am I going to blame? He twisted around to face me again, eyes picking up the blaze of the logs. Who am I going to lay the guilt on? He demanded. This is my situation. So I just make the best out of it. I know that I hurt you. I lied to you in some ways. But you know, the reason why I did what I did was because I was afraid to lose you. And in my efforts not to lose you, I lost you anyway. Because I didn't tell you the truth. Now that what I just said to you is the truth. He brought a hand down flat on the table with such force, the crystal jumping rattled. Then he dropped his head. I reached up with my hand and lifted up his chin so I could look into his eyes. Mother calls them the window to one. So, looking in his eyes at that moment, sitting across from him, my heart just liquefied. Stefan has these small, black, piercing eyes that are undersized for his face. When I look into them, I could see tears forming in the corners, and all my resolve melted. The pressures of wanting to please him was unbearable. Sweaty palms and cramps in my stomach. He liked for me to wear matching bra and panty sets, and I had worn one just in case I wasn't strong enough to walk away when the confrontation was over. Dinner was finished, and half of our food was still on the plate. It was plain that Stefan was about ready to go into orbit if we didn't leave, so the waiter brought the check. Smiling, I took it out from under Stefan's hand, determined that this was going to be my treat. I laid two $100 bills on the table and weighed them down with the silver salt cellar. Then I got up, gave him a kiss on the cheek, and left the hotel alone. I hadn't finished dealing with his deception and couldn't welcome him into our bed that night. I understood that he had no knowledge of our of my pregnancy or abortion. So to be fair to him, he couldn't fully empathize with how I felt. But it took everything in me not to turn around so I could see the look on his face. He hadn't expected me to pay for the meal, but he certainly expected me to stay and play. What fun is it to see a gift with all its pretty wrappings and not be able to undo it, to play with the toy inside? I had gotten that idea from an Oprah Winfrey show where she told a story about having chartered a private plane to where Stepman, her boyfriend, was. When she arrived, she surprised him for dinner, then got back on the plane and left just because it meant something to him to have dinner with her and he matters to her. This part of the book is called Tragedy Strikes, 1998, where Terry speaks of Stefan Harvell, a.k.a. Steve Harvey manager being killed 
and it says his manager had been killed in a head-on collision. Stefan was devastated. They were best friends. Like me, Persia has stuck with him through the lean periods and taken him on into the successful ones. Anyone that knew them knew they were inseparable. They had a bond that most people never experienced in a lifetime, not even in their marriages. They thought as one mind, almost like one soul. As many times as I had doubted us, I never doubted that they loved one another. They both understood that hard times were and have been passionate about making a difference for minority youth. Together, on October 16, 1995, they went on to, to the Million Man March in Washington, D.C., where African-American men from across the country gathered on Washington's National Mall for a massive march advocating unity, anointment and brotherhood that experience ignited something inside them both the two of them pledged a national black fraternity but sadly before his manager had the opportunity to cross over the burning sands he died i never expected perseus death to affect me as profoundly as it did he wasn't my best friend but he was a good friend i just didn't realize that until it was too late persia phoned me the night after stefan and i had met for dinner to thrash out why he never told me about his wife having a baby. I could hear frustration in his voice even as he said hello. Carrie, he started off in a harsh tone, then paused as if to collect his thoughts. I'm not happy that you and Stefan are back together. I know that Stefan really loves you. Before he and I started working together, you two were as one. And I know that you're not happy about his situation, but it's his situation, not yours. Every time you reject his love, he comes back unable to do whatever he needs to do to get his work done. That's not good. The whole situation is not good for you or for him. Stefan has some goals that he is trying to reach to make things better for his kids and family. At that time, I couldn't believe he was coming at me like that. I'm not the one that you should be discussing this with. Maybe you should call your boy. I slammed the phone into his cradle. It took me a while to accept that he was only trying to protect Stefan from getting hurt. Although he should have known there was no need to fear that from me. I guess I laid another brick on the road to hell because I really did intend to call him back after things settled down for us. But I kept putting it off. Then he was gone and I was left with a lot of things that had needed saying. New Year's Eve, 1999, 13 minutes before midnight, and here I am at home on New Year's Eve. There have been so many lies and excuses that I stopped expecting to hear anything resembling the truth from him years ago. Behind the looks and disapproving, polite smiles from the women that work for him, I can see how they feel about me. You can almost hear them say, you're not Stefan's wife, you're his past, and that's where you should stay. I can tell by the way they treat me that his team thinks all he feels is some sort of obligation because I was with him back in the hard days. It doesn't matter to me what others think. Stefan and I have been together for six years, and I have been everything a wife is, even though the law puts the title on another woman and doesn't acknowledge me. I've gone along with it all as the woman who willingly fulfills his fantasies and makes satisfying his desires her every wish. Truth be told, I'm his upper class whore and he's my one trick. At least I'm not on the streets. He doesn't hit me and he's the only man I have to pleasure. Stefan hates when I talk like that, but it's true. 
Five years ago, I sacrificed my mother's hope for grandchildren, a piece of my soul and my peace of mind to make life less stressful for him. And I still grieve for what might have been. Now, I am the other woman. Everything that I believed about love and relationships, the trust that Adam had in Eve, the bond of man and woman, and the belief that a husband and wife will always be united as one is gone. Everything I thought two people in love believed in was shattered the day I became the other woman in 1996, when on our third anniversary, Stefan married someone else. I stayed with him even after he made her his queen. After investing body and soul in our relationship for three years, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Anyway, he told me that she tricked him. He also told me they were not together and his attorneys were working on getting the marriage annulled. I believed him, of course, for long years ago. Since then, this woman has had his baby while I'm tucked away here waiting on the annulment and giving him unconditional sex. Hmm. Men will lie when the truth will do. The following April, whenever he hit a low point, I immediately got into position to listen. Talk to me about what's going on, I would say. Then I touch him, hold him, listen, and go to bed with him. When he was in need, I put my needs aside. That no conditions, love was what bond us together. Neither one of us could walk away from the relationship. I gave, he took. I needed to give to keep him safe, keep him on track to where he was headed. He needed someone willing to let him take the upper hand in everything, so he was always in control. It seemed ideal, maybe even equal, but I gave up my will and myself out of love. He took it for granted. I think he actually cared in a strange kind of way, but that caring grew out of knowing I would always fulfill his wants and desires no matter what he did. And he cared about not having that steady supply of willingness cut off. It was a twisted kind of love, and I didn't always like the way he showed it. The following April, he was doing a show in Georgia, and I agreed to lie cross country and meet him. I booked a round trip to Atlanta with a couple of days for visiting with friends before heading down to Augusta to meet Stefan for the show. I stayed with Janelle, one of my girlfriends that I've known for years, and she drove me to meet Stefan. He was performing at the same Coliseum where he did his last HBO special. Girl, aren't you excited about going to see your man shoot his HBO special? Maybe we'll be on TV if the camera points to us. Just for a moment, she took her eyes off the road to look at me for some sort of acknowledgement that I shared her enthusiasm. There wasn't any excitement for me, but I did manage to force the corners of my lips up in a smile. I had questions like... Why am I still the other woman? And where is this relationship going? I also had concerns that I was ready for Stefan to deal with. Like, did he expect me to wait another year before he could make more of a commitment to our relationship? Or was he under the impression that I would allow this triangle to go on indefinitely? When we pulled up to the hotel, we could see him standing out on the balcony, scanning the cars that stopped out front. She had never met him, so I invited her to come up. She introduced herself and with mock sternness said, 
Carrie is a handful. Stefan, you sure you can handle her? With a big grin, Stefan replied, yes, she is. But I've been doing it for seven years and I don't expect her to change. He invited Janelle to the show and had his manager arrange to get her a room. Finding a room wasn't easy because the Masters Golf Tournament was taking place the same weekend and the hotel was booked to capacity. But when Stefan took the phone from his manager and spoke to the front desk, a suite suddenly became available. She took her bags and went to her room. After we were alone, he sat down in the lounge area of his suite. I sat down on a low table facing him with my legs straddling his while he told me how much he loved me. If you're so in love with me, how could you marry another woman? Carrie, he said, I love you. If I could do it all over, I would have done things differently. You would be the woman that I would be married to right now. This time, I wasn't going to back off before getting something that resembled the truth. If you love me so much, why on the night of the televised awards show did you tell the world that you are who you are because of your wife? I don't give a damn what I say when I'm in the public's eye. I just say what they want to hear. Oh, his tone went up after that question. Those people don't know my life, so it doesn't matter what you read or see. I'm telling you that I am in love with you. He got up and walked out on the balcony. He doesn't like to deal with any heavy conversations before he performs. Damn. I joined him outside in the darkness and kissed him on the neck. I decided to let the conversation wait until a better time. Knowing our track record, a better time would likely never come. He and his crew left within two hours of our arrival to go to the auditorium where he was performing. Janelle went shopping in the area for a while. I was tired, so I laid down across one of the beds in our two-bedroom suite. Four hours later, I got up, showered, and dressed. Then Janelle and I drove to the show. Once we arrived, someone from his team greeted us at the admission doors and walked us past the ushers and directly to our seats in the center of the first row. He never lost that talent to hold an audience in the palm of his hands. If anything, he'd honed the skill to a fine art. The show was a sellout. Critics always said that when you attend his live performances, you got double your money's worth. After the show, Janelle waited out front and I went backstage. As always, I was dressed for him alone in a gray, low back, slinky satin dress, naked legs, and high heel sandals, all designed to show off as much as possible while still leaving something to the imagination. I mingled with his friends, team, and admirers, casting an occasional lingering glance his way. But that was all that he got from me in his dressing room. It was late and I was ready to get on the road to find something to eat. We were soon on the way to his limousine. It was three o'clock in the morning when we got back to the hotel. Stefan and his team flight to Los Angeles was scheduled to leave in three hours. Plans had been made to reshoot the opening of his sitcom in Los Angeles. The studio was booked and the crew was just standing around running up a tab at Union Scale until he got there. 
It was ready slotted into the schedule. The network executives were impatient and I'd heard his manager pressing him about it backstage. He called his assistant back in Los Angeles and woke her up to book a flight for later in the morning after she called back for the third time to say because of the Masters Golf Tournament, all flights out of Augusta were full. He told her not to call until she found something. Then he ripped the phone plug out of the jack. Now, if I were a gambling woman, I never have bet on him leaving before just satisfying his craving for sex with me. It just wasn't going to happen. He was on the phone with Michelle, who is his personal assistant in Los Angeles. He told his team that they should go to their rooms and relax because she was rebooking everyone's seats for a later flight. Well, he was still playing phone tag with Michelle when he told them this. But what he wasn't telling them is that all of the later flights were overbooked. There wasn't any way that he was going to catch that 6 a.m. flight before he had some of me for breakfast. No plane was going to take him higher than I could. Stefan liked to see me perform. There was my striptease act with music, which was a slow grinding rhythm to it. I would stand over him while he sat on the sofa and place one foot on each side of his thigh. Sometimes we would use three chairs. He would sit on the chair in the middle with one on each side of him for me to stand on. I moved my body to the deep throbbing beat as he slowly stroked my legs up and down. Each time I removed a piece of clothing, I slid a foot between his thighs and brushed my toes over the bulge in his crotch. Other times I'd take him hunting for my treasures in a bubble bath, or he'd have to stay after school. That day we played Naughty Blind Date. When he finally got up, I stayed in bed. He was a master of the quick getaway, and after a shower, he dressed, kissed me on the forehead, and left. The limo had to take them all to the airport in Charlotte, North Carolina, in order to get a flight to, back to the coast. The next season, his show opened with the scenes they'd already taped. Phone pleasure. As the years went on and his schedule became more demanding, finding time to be together became more difficult. The travel and performing took its toll. He called me some nights after his stage or television show wound tighter than a clock spring to satisfy his need for a release of all the tension. He looked to my voice on the telephone. I didn't like the fact that I got no pleasure from it and I didn't want to do it, but for him, I did. He would talk about the pressure and the demands that were made on him and how much he needed to relax. He starts by asking how my day went. It wasn't what he asked. It was how he asked it that gave me insight as to how he really wanted me to respond. If he started his conversation with first expressing how exhausted he was, followed by a long release of breath, then I knew he wasn't calling to find out how my day really was. Him showing concern for my well-being was just his way of being polite before he got to the foreplay. So I would give him a little something, a soft tone of voice and naughty description drawn out as I told him what I was wearing, ended with bringing him to a peak, and then he'd exhale, excited. I tried to use those times as a bargaining tool for conversation about us and talking about things that were on my mind. Sometimes it was our only contact. I tried to use it to my advantage and wedge in some discussion about us and the things that were on my mind. But because he was focused on other things and it wasn't what he wanted, I got nowhere. To actually converse meant he had to think 
and thinking was like cold water on his fantasies. I had no option but to comply. If I wasn't arousing him, I'd hear, I'm getting off the phone because I'm tired and uh, I need some sleep. Stefan knew how to pull the right strings. He knew that I would put pleasing him above pleasing myself. He was the only one who put the phone down, satisfied. I was left unfulfilled, lonely, and frustrated. We played his game, and he always won. I got mail. One night, two years later, he called and asked me to check my email. I booted the computer, and there was a message from him that said, let's play. My first thought was, Please don't tell me that he's now using the internet as a means of foreplay. I knew what it meant, but I wasn't going to get into cyber sex too. Instead, I sent him a message that said, Hi, sweetheart. So now you are a member of the internet craze. There is a lot that you can learn, find, and enjoy from using the internet. So have fun. Drop me a note from time to time while you're on the road and I will email you back. Good night, Mr. Man, and I hit send. The phone rang two minutes later. Hello? Are you going to play with me or what? Play what? Come on, Carrie. Now email me back. I don't think he appreciated my note because he hung up and emailed me again with, Let's play now. He was a quick study anyway. He was already yelling in caps. Play what? I emailed back. Beep, another message. We are both adults here. I'm sure you know what I mean. Okay, so let's play. That one was followed seconds later by another message with, what are you wearing? I tapped out, be careful, big brother is always watching, and hit send, hoping this would discourage anything more explicit. Then the phone rang, Carrie, what the hell are you talking about, big brother? I don't give a damn about no big brother. This is between you and me. He was getting more and more agitated. I am just going to stop if you don't want to do this for me. And so I played. I am wearing nothing at all. I'm just laying here across my hard bed on my back thinking about you, baby. Then I sent it, winging through cyberspace. Beep, I got mail. Oh yeah, baby, talk to me. I can imagine you sitting there touching yourself for me. Is that what you doing, baby? Are you wet? Yes, baby, real wet. What are you doing to your body? Are you hard? I want to taste it. Back went the reply he wanted to hear. This form of cyber foreplay was difficult for me because I couldn't hear his voice to anticipate how fast or slow to take it because I had already written that I was naked. There weren't any clothes to describe coming off. Beep, I got mail. Yes. I'm hard like a rock and imagining you on your knees between my thighs, sucking. Spread your legs open wide and rub your fingers, fingers on that spot that I like to touch when I'm there. Are you rubbing it for me, baby? Yeah, right, I thought. I am sitting here at my desk on my computer corresponding with you. You nitwit. My computer isn't in my bed, but I dare reply. Yes, baby, and I am rubbing it faster. I decided to bring this to a quick end. I feel myself getting wetter. Oh, I don't think I can stop myself from coming. Come with me, baby. Oh, baby, now. And hit send. After it was over, he emailed. Thank you. Good night, lover. 
I shut down my computer and hopped into bed wearing an old pair of his Calvin Klein drawstring boxers and a white wife beater tank. I saved copies of all our exchanges. I don't know why. I guess it was because the whole approach was just so bizarre. I hope this wasn't going to become a habit of his because I got even less pleasure from it than the striptease phone calls. Oh, baby, baby. Lately, I've been feeling like a fifth wheel. Handy when you need it, but otherwise nobody gives it a second thought. Stefan's been working nonstop for a year, traveling and doing more and more interviews together with his wife. I miss him, but the endless promises to dissolve his marriage didn't seem to be going anywhere. And at times like this, it made me tied in knots. I was venting my frustration with Stefan to my girlfriend, Elena, because it seemed like she alone knew just how hard it was for me to survive our endless cycles of fight, promise, sex, wait, some more. Elena is originally from Newark, Stefan's hometown, and they have some friends in common. We managed to plan one night together as he literally flew through town and back out on a six-week tour. But he apparently didn't land because he never showed up. This has started to become a pattern with him lately. He would show up hours before he'd promise, or not at all. Then he would be then it would be days of messages on his voicemail before I heard from him. When he did call, he was always irritable, saying, What do you want? or Carrie, get to the point because I have too much in my head to play guessing games with you, and I only have a moment, so make the best of it. He might as well have said, don't waste it telling me you've been waiting all week to hear from me. Whatever was stuck up his ass, I wanted it removed because his treatment of me was disrespectful. Early the next morning, I called Elena to talk and blow off some steam. When I told her about Stefan's missing in action moments and lack of time for me, her attitude became that of the sister from hell. She was hot. Elena said, if I wasn't going to get in his face about the way he treated me, she was. And she went on and on about how I was a good person that deserved someone better in my life and started listing all the sacrifices that I made, like chauffeuring him around in Atlanta, cooking and bringing him something to eat, flying to see him on the road on my days off, and laying up in some hotel with him because he doesn't want to be out in the public. She also reminded me of how much of me I gave up to please Stefan. Simple things like going to the movies, dancing, or spending time together like couples do in a normal relationship. She wasn't finished browbeating me even then. If it wasn't for the fact that you are so good about putting up with his ass, he wouldn't be the big man that he thinks he is. Carrie, stand up for yourself. Tell him how eight years ago you gave up the baby you wanted and went against your own moral beliefs for his career. Then stayed with him after he lied about his supposed annulment and how having that baby with another woman hurt you. If you don't, girl, I will. And I mean it. Sure, your mother may think you are living the best life because you don't have to work. That's because you make things out to be so perfect when you talk to her. But if she knew the real story, she wouldn't want you to be with him. Nothing I could say was going to stop her. I was scared she was going to tell him everything. When Selena ran down and out of threats, I hung up the phone. I was exhausted from my confrontation with her and irritated with Stefan. He just got in last night from a week on the road and most likely had appointments booked all day. But fuck that. 
I have more than enough nerve to walk in his office right past that snooty bitch guard dog that he talks about so much. Sometimes it seems like he cares more about her than me. If I was going down there to his office on the studio lot, I knew I had better look better than he and especially they would expect. I slipped on my red silk wrap dress, a pair of sexy sandals, and grabbed my small shoulder bag, then hopped in my car and headed for the 45 Expressway and his office. At the time, I didn't know what I was going to say, but I knew that if I had to walk over to someone to see him, then that's what I was prepared to do. I cruised past the security guard at the Westside Hollywood Boulevard studio entrance gate without them having to call his office for clearance. Stefan had instructed Michelle to put my name on the always admit guest list in case I ever decided to visit. Whenever I did visit, though rare, his fellow cast members greeted me with warmth and genuine welcome. Not like those evil women in the office. If it wasn't for the fact that Stephane would never put up with it, they wouldn't even acknowledge me when they saw me. Like it or not, I am the one that he shares a bed with. It was just as I figured when I walked through the office doors and saw the look of shock and ain't this some shit the nerve on the faces of Michelle and the two other little gatekeepers. I knew I was standing on the battlefield. Michelle had a reputation for not taking anything from anybody, but it was cool because I was suited up to give as good as I got. No one moved as I took a step in Michelle's direction. When I got over to her desk, she was gazing down to something on the blotter. As I got closer, I saw her fingers scrolling up and down her appointment book. Hello, how are you? I asked. I'm fine, Carrie, she replied. Then she shifted her body some and placed an elbow on the desk with her hand underneath her chin. And you, how is everything? Things are great for us, I said sweetly as opposed to what I was thinking. We are doing just fine, which is that fine available? She pushed her hair back with both hands, tucking it behind her ears. I'm sorry, she said while moving her head gradually back and forth as if to say no. But did he have an appointment with you? The way she asked had the other two girls in the room hanging over their desks to hear my response. Okay. I know that Michelle keeps careful track of his appointments, schedules, and whereabouts. Hell, sometimes I think she knows just when we are scheduled to have sex. Because just before I'm about to come, she pages him and breaks his rhythm. So I'm sure that my impromptu visit probably would throw a wrench in her precious schedule. I stepped over to the side between the hallway that leads to Stefan's office and her desk, leaned over towards her a bit and said, no, I don't have an appointment listed in his book, but I only need to see him for a few minutes. Then I stared over at the other girls with a look that said, is that a problem for you? My expression must have gotten the message across because the two twits found something else to look at real quick. Um, I'm sorry, Carrie, but Mr. Harvell is on the phone, and as soon as he's finished this call, he has an appointment off-site. She slid sideways off her chair so that she blocked the hallway entrance. Would you like me to find another time for you to meet with him? She reached over to pick up the appointment book off her desk. When she did that, I moved around her and started down the hallway. Walking swiftly, I tossed over my shoulder. No, thank you, Michelle. I'm here now, so I'll see him. I knocked on his door once, opened it, and walked right in, just in time to hear him say, That's fine, Michelle. I will take care of it. Hold my calls. Hello? 
What are you doing here? It was difficult to see the expression in his eyes because of the Showtime ball cap that he was wearing. He liked hats because they hid the fact that his trademark hairline wasn't perfect. Slowly with a little swing to the hips, I walked over to the small conference table in his office where he was sitting. I dropped my purse on top of it, walked behind him and placed my hands on his shoulders. I wanted to talk to you, massaging his shoulders, I added. I wanted to see you also. He reached back and grabbed my hands then with a single twist swung them over his head forcing my body to twist around until I was leaning back against the table now I was facing him he said talk about what Carrie I'm working now what could be so important that you felt you needed to come down here like this there wasn't any welcome on his face or in his voice like this hmm I replied yeah that's what I said I don't have time for your mood swings today my tone rose. Mood swings. Stefan, be careful how you talk to me. He stood up, grabbed the papers off the table, turned and walked over to his desk. I followed him. He slammed the papers down and walked around to fling himself into the executive leather chair, steaming inside. I stood there in front of his messy desk with my hands planted on top and leaned forward, giving him glare for glare. He propped one foot up on the trash can between his desk and credenza. All I do is sit at home waiting for you to get back in town. You tell me that you'll be home for dinner, then you blow me off. I am not gonna be treated like that is everything all right at home home is the reason that I am here in your face like this it's been months now since we've spent any time together lately I feel like you are making excuses not to spend time with me we hardly ever sit down for dinner or do anything together but screw hell there hasn't been much of that either it seems like when you have been in town you decide to stay at the condo as opposed to coming home why you tell me what's wrong with us because I didn't sacrifice my he interrupted me sacrifice uh, here we go again. What sacrifices have you made other than selling a business that you struggle with to pay all your financial obligations anyway? And a house that I had to cover the mortgage on a few times. You don't have to work because of me. Some women would love the deal that I offered you. So, I just don't get what your problem is. What sacrifices? Because I don't remember you being there when I decided to move away from my family, my parents who I miss, leaving my oldest kid who has a crazy mother that is constantly trying different ways to get more shit from me. Carrie, I am sorry, but you can walk out that door and no one is going to ask you to tell them a joke or disturb you when you are eating. It's not your name that people pay to see, expecting you to give them their money's worth but i don't complain because i asked for fame and success in comedy to provide a better life for my family so you are where you are solely through your willingness to make sacrifices truthfully yes and by god's good grace yeah god's good grace all right and me loving you enough to abort our child eight years ago for your career what did you say when who when were you pregnant Exactly two years into our relationship, I got sick on a trip when I was still flying. I didn't know what was wrong with me, so when we landed and got to the hotel, I went to a nearby clinic, and it was there in a cold, tiny room without a soul to call, my friend or family, that I got the news that I was pregnant. He sat there, not saying a word, staring out the window to his office while listening to my confession. 
Then he spoke. His expression was a mixture of confusion and belligerence. Why didn't you tell me? I tried. When I got back home from my trip, I called you, and you told me that you would be in town on Friday night for a show. I only had to wait, I think, a week, so I decided to tell you face-to-face. -face. When you got in town, I didn't want to lay the news on you before you got on stage, so I decided to wait until you finished. The funny part was... I was pregnant and confused, but my whole focus was on your well-being. It's always about you, just like it is now. Your ex-wife was threatening to take away your visiting rights or something. The club, your career, you, you, you. I was hurting, and I needed you to put my needs first. But you never have. You lied about the woman that you married, the baby. How did you think it made me feel to know that I sacrificed my child for your life, career, and well-being? You can't tell me shit about sacrifices. He reached up, pulled his cap lower over his forehead. Then he stood up with his hands in his pockets and turned his back to me, facing the large window next to his desk, muttering to himself. He bent over and with his right hand grabbed a bottle of water out of his small office refrigerator next to the armoire that he kept his bookshelf stereo system in. Then he turned and stared at me. He didn't even ask if I would like some water too. I mean, wow, Carrie, this is blowing my mind. If you had told me, a lot of things in my life would have been different. But what can I do? You chose not to tell me, and as a woman, you exercise your right to give up the child. Yeah, I see that you use the words give up, like I put it out for adoption. It's called abortion. Please, don't yell. Where are you going, Stefan? Without warning, he grabbed his keys and walked out of his office, closing the door behind him, leaving me behind too. I sat down in one of the chairs next to the conference table and for half an hour played in my mind the way I told him about the abortion. Then one of the two office snoops knocked, came in and asked if there was something they could help me with. I held my head up, looked her straight in the eye and said, no. No thank you, to be exact. I stood up, grabbed my purse, and walked out past the secretary and a couple of people waiting, knowing they all had seen him go, leaving me there alone. On my drive home, I thought about how my mother cares for him. Whenever they talked, he was always assuring her that he would watch out for me now that I was living in Los Angeles. He told her that he was in love with her daughter. My mother would get so tickled. Hurt and disappointed, he walked out, and we neither saw nor spoke to each other for weeks. It took some begging and lots of crying before he would agree to come back home, but things weren't better. He still had no time for me, and even though he knows my big secret, he has never spoken of it since that day in his office. Countdown to the end. Doomsday, August 31st, 2003. My stomach feels a little queasy this morning. Can't have anything too heavy before going to the gym. Maybe I'll grab a can of Slim Fast for breakfast. Oh, my neck. A good workout will take care of this stiffness, and it can't hurt to clear my mind. Darn, it looks like all I have left is vanilla. It takes money to buy food, and I'm in need of both, money and groceries. I really need to go shopping. Strawberry is better, but since this is all I have left, vanilla will have to do. Um, if I decide to do any shopping with the girls after the gym, it's going to have to be more like window shopping. Every one of my 12 credit cards are maxed out, and by the looks of my check register, 
Fanny fast food is the best I can do for lunch. I haven't gotten my allowance from Stefan since June. How many times do I have to call him? I hate begging. I've had to survive on what limits were left on my plastic and window shopping. Hell, if he doesn't have all of it on him tonight, 2500 one month's allowance will help some. If there is a God, please don't let him disappoint me again. Please. We haven't traveled together lately. To be honest, it has been closer to a year. My only trips are back and forth to the gym. With rehearsals, the night his show tapes and weekend gigs, his time is really locked down. I haven't spent any real time alone with him in months. Just a few casual visits to the television studio. Maybe one day soon, he'll take some time off and we can get away together. This breakfast drink by itself ain't gonna do. I think I'll cook me some egg whites for breakfast too. Damn, that phone. Look at the time. It can't be those nasty people selling light bulbs this early in the morning. Hello? Hey, girl, what's up? Brenda, hi. Hey, girl, are you calling this time of morning? Do you think I always get up this early? You? Girl, everyone knows that you don't sleep. I'm not disturbing anything, am I? Your man isn't there, is he? Not at the moment, but he'll be home tonight. I'm just scrambling me some eggs before I head off to the gym. That's why I'm calling. Corbin arranged for the dealer to pick up my Mercedes at 7 o'clock this morning. Can I catch a ride with you? Once they finish my car, they're going to deliver it to the gym. No problem. I should be leaving in about mm, 20 minutes, and I'll stop by and pick you up in 30. Okay, but don't come up. Just call and I'll come down. See you, girl. I wonder if Brenda was always a snob or did she just become one when she married Mr. Money, the CEO of World Wax record label. Corbin Michael is 26 years Brenda's senior. She married him in 1996, 14 months after going to work for his company and two weeks after his divorce from his first wife of 34 years. She's got it all and makes sure everyone knows it. From the perfect body to prestige and the status she got by dating only well-to-do men, whether they were married or not. When you listen to her tell it, you think she was born with a silver spoon in her mouth. But all in all, Brenda isn't any different than most of the beautiful women here in Hollywood. Most of them came up the hard way, and they'll play hardball any way they have to in order to stay at the top. Beauty is their survival kit. Once in a while when Brenda and I are together with our friends Leslie and Wendy to go shopping or have lunch together, I wonder, why am I there? What do I have in common with these women? They are nothing like my independent girlfriends back in Atlanta, except they are beautiful also. Now, Wendy does work part-time at her father's law firm. Her husband, who she dated in college, is a member of the firm of one of LA's most sought-after celebrity divorce attorneys. Wendy uses her connections at the firm to introduce Leslie to upper-class men. Now, Leslie is divorced with three kids and a million-dollar settlement. When her ex-husband insisted she signed a prenuptial agreement, she had an infidelity clause written in. A little detective work and some nice glossy pictures show he was anything but faithful. In the two years that I've known Leslie, I've only seen her kids twice. They spend most of their time in a year-round boarding school in London. It leaves her more time to hunt for another rich man. Now, what am I going to wear? It's been a while since I've bought anything new to work out in. It's just not good to show up in the same outfit every day. 
Why do I go along with that crap? Why am I standing here ransacking the closet, worrying about what to wear to the gym? Who's really paying attention to the clothes that people put on to sweat in? Nobody is scoping out our color and pattern when they can check out the abs and asses. And mine look damn fine, so that's all that matters. Okay, I'm dressed. I got my keys. Now I got to go pick up crazy Brenda. Brenda, I thought you were going to wait for me to call you. How long have you been standing outside? I leaned over and pushed open the door of my BMW before the upper echelon thought one of the ladies of the evening had wandered into their six-figure neighborhood. Brenda never did hide her light under a bushel. She had a sweater tied around her neck by the sleeves, but that spandex hid nothing else. Not long. I only left the house a second ago. You said in 30 minutes, and if there's one thing that I know about you, it's that you're a stickler for time. I laughed at her nonsense and pulled my 745 Beamer back out into traffic. Brenda rifled through her little clutch purse at the club's reception counter. With a muttered imprecation, she remembered her membership pass was still in her car. Would you mind looking my name up? My card is in my car and I didn't drive here. My name is Brenda Michaels and I've been a member since 96. Yes, Mrs. Michaels, here you are. The fluff buffed and silicone padded blonde behind the desk tapped Brenda's record up on the computer with one long nail painted to match her leotard. Enjoy your day at Galaxy Gym. If there is anything we can help you with, please let us know. Will the two of you be having a massage after your workout? Yes. All right then, I'll schedule one for both of you. More tap tap. The Kiwi Apple with Power Punch is today's frozen drink. I'll have one sent to your room when you're ready for your rub down. Thank you. I'd also like an apple martini. The big white teeth were raised on Brenda. It made me wonder what she showed the guys. Yes, Mrs. Michaels, we'll have that sent along as well. Now, I'm a little behind on my membership dues. Maybe that won't have been entered yet. I hand the receptionist my card, almost afraid to let it go. The blonde swipes it briskly, then swipes it again. She frowns. Brenda is standing to my left, tapping her foot. Another swipe. It was obvious from the sudden change in the clerk's facial expression that she knew. Oh, please don't say anything to me now in front of nosy Brenda. Okay, maybe she didn't say it with words, but her eyes and actions certainly did. She flicked a glance down her nose at Brenda, then shoved my card across the marble countertop, ignoring my outstretched hand. Thank you, Miss Strong. No greeting, no drink order, no smile. What's up with her, Brenda demanded as I turned away embarrassed and moved quickly towards the changing room. Did you see that? Talk about attitude. She completely flipped when she checked you in. Don't worry about it, I shrugged and smiled. You know what they say about Hollywood. What? The city's preference is women that are light, bright, and damn near white. Brenda snorted. That's not funny. Come on, let's put our stuff away in the lockers and take a class. Brenda, that's a gorgeous outfit. Is it new? I was retying the sneaker on the bench while she inspected her hair in a compact, like it wasn't going to get messed up. The top has a bra in it, to, and it's really good because it holds these little puppies up. Carrie, you're not the only one that never wears the same outfit twice in a month. She was digging in her purse again when I removed my jumper cover up. Okay, what's up? Is everything okay with your man? It's fine, I replied, doing a few bends and stretches. Uh, why you ask? Oh, no big reason. She touched a little lip gloss to her mouth and considered the effect. But you've worn that same outfit at least three times this month. 
that's not like you. Brenda, come on. They're just exercise clothes. How can you buy into that? You're acting like every stuck-up woman here. Do you realize that there are only two ways that women can join this freaking gym? If they don't already have a perfect body, they either have to shape up with the help of a $300 an hour personal trainer or find a good surgeon with a back office door. Oh, and it helps if they're rich. You don't get past the velvet rope without being perfect. It would ruin the gym's image. You forgot the $1,000 a month membership fee, she noted crisply pulling at the shoulders of her outfit so those puppies were sitting up at attention. And since your ass is a member here, I guess you don't mind having the look. What's got you all tied up in knots anyway? I know Stefan ain't been home in a while, but damn girl, are you always this bitchy when you ain't getting any? That old fart Corbin is horny every day, morning, noon, and night, every second that he's breathing. I wish he would leave me alone for a while. Maybe what you need is to skip the workout and go straight for your massage. <laughs> what do you think? She gave me a sly look from the corner of her eye. Shut up, girl. Class starts in five minutes. I shook my head. Brenda was a trip. It sounds enticing, but I think I'm going to wait for Stefan's fingers. Have you checked with the front desk to see if your car is here? It's here. When I was having my massage, this beautiful buff guy from the shop delivered the car and brought my key. I'm not kidding. The man was so put together that I thought he worked out here at the gym. Mm-mm, he was yummy. She fanned herself as she strolled towards the front desk. So, Carrie, what do you want to do now? Brenda stopped at the front door. Do you want to meet the girls at the mall for lunch or do a little shopping? No, I have a few errands to run before Stefan gets back tonight. Are you sure? Not even a quick bite? No, Miss Brenda, not today. I held the door open for her and we both exited together. Hey, it looks like your buff man can really buff a car too. You drive careful, hear me? We air kissed and went our separate ways. September 1st, the last morning after. Dear Journal, what am I supposed to do? I wake up every day feeling lonely, unappreciated and hurting because he can't make a promise and keep it. We really needed to talk, but talking was the least of what we did last night. Granted, I could tell that he was really exhausted and seemed kind of distant. And I could understand how the normal day-to-day -day stuff, rehearsals, staff meetings, and public appearances, plus stand-up gigs on the road every weekend, could wear any man down. Fatigue would be natural, but that didn't account for his emotionless embrace and the way he avoided my eyes. I arrived home around 2 p.m. from running errands, picking up a few items and flowers from the food market in plenty of time before Stefan pulled in, or at least I thought I had, until I tripped and fell as soon as I stepped into the house holding a full grocery bag in one hand with my purse, keys, and flowers in the other. Once I got my bearings, I realized that I had tripped over Stefan's suitcase sitting on the floor next to the door. I yelled for him to come and help me get the groceries up off the floor, but he never answered. After the second or third, Stefan, honey, I stopped. I just figured that he must be exhausted and sleeping. That's why he left the bag sitting here by the door. So I picked up the food and flowers, then took them into the kitchen. I was so excited to have him home that I almost wet my pants. After I put away the refrigerator items, I went back to take his bags into the bedroom. He wasn't even in the bedroom or the bathroom either. I set the bags on the floor in the closet. Then it dawned on me. I didn't remember seeing his car parked outside. 
He must have headed over to the office or studios for something. That was great because it gave me time to cook dinner. It had been a long time since he and I spent any time together or since he had expressed a desire to. Actually, the last time that we sat and talked or shared any intimate romantic moment was months ago. It was about 8 o'clock p.m. when he came back, saying very little, two or three sentences at most. I was in the kitchen cooking dinner when I heard his key in the lock, and he turned the doorknob. I met him in the living room. Hi, baby. Hey, he responded, pushing the keys into his pocket. How was your day? I asked. In a soft, tired voice, he answered, okay, you know how days are. He paused to inhale and then let it out slowly. Hmm. My days don't stop. How was yours? Great. I tried to put some enthusiasm into my reply. It was a major lie because my days haven't been great for months now. Do you want something to eat? I'm cooking your favorites for dinner. Baked chicken breast with mushroom sauce, almond rice, spinach salad topped with raspberries and walnuts. I'm not hungry, he whispered softly in my ear when I reached up to give him a hug and kiss. I grabbed his hat and put it down on the arm of the sofa. He looked down into my eyes, grabbed me by my hand, and headed straight for the bedroom. Once there, he took off his clothes and laid across the bed. Like the good little girl that I am, I followed suit and removed my clothes. I'm always willing to pleasure him. I enjoyed our lovemaking, but there was something about last night that was different. He responded to me as if I were a habit that he'd given up and wanted to try just once more, like a smoker who's quit, putting the cigarette in their mouth just for the taste. Check it out, see if it's the same. It was clear that last night's lovemaking was for his satisfaction, and if I got nothing from it, that was just the way things go. I was left unsatisfied and frustrated. Our all-night sexual sessions paralleled a scene from the movie Boomerang where Eddie Murphy played a character named Marcus Graham. After planning a romantic evening and cooking an exotic meal, he waited half the night for his date. He was pretty P.O.'d, but once Jacqueline Brewer, played by Robin Givens, did get there, the sight of her made him forget the anger. Shortly after they had hot, sweaty sex, Marcus wakes up to Jacqueline tying the belt of her coat. The camera cuts to Marcus' face, who looked as if he maybe expected a little more, then pans back. She thanks him, saying how much she needed their romp. With a smirk, she walks out, leaving him two $100 bills on the bedside table. She paid him, as if to say, here is your money for services rendered. The difference is, my man left his condom wrappers on the nightstand like he always has. It amounted to the same thing. His palms were making its way down my left thigh when I tried to bring him back to the real world. Baby, I said softly, caressing the hand that had now moved to between my thighs. I know that you've had a tough day, but I really need to talk to you about some important things, like money for the bills here. I try not to sound accusing as I reminded him of my allowance or the lack thereof. I'm sure because you've been extremely busy that depositing my allowance money just slipped your mind. I waited for him to agree, but he didn't. He said nothing. Suddenly, the hand that had been cupping my breast dropped away. He sat up in one motion, swinging his leg over the side of the bed. His hands were clasped together, rubbing each other slowly. Although his face was without motion, he still gave me eye contact. 
I gathered the shreds of my courage and continued. Tomorrow is the first and I have some bills that are a couple of months behind. You know what is really bothering me? Are these phone calls? Calls? What phone calls, he said abruptly. Harassment calls that I've been receiving for the last two weeks, mostly from collection agencies about past due bills. The number here isn't on any of the accounts because everything goes through me. I have it set up so you are completely out of things. All creditors contact my office and get paid through my office. That's the way I have it arranged. So I don't know who these people are. If they're harassing you, just hang the phone up or give them my office number and let Michelle handle them. She knows exactly what to say. Most likely, it's some company trying to sell you something because it ain't no bill collector. I don't even give this number out. Well, oddly enough, I've got these. I slid off the bed and pulled out a shoebox out from underneath it. In the mail, this one, I held it up. I had to sign for it because it came certified for you. Remember that day last week when I couldn't reach you? So I left messages with everyone asking them to have you return the call right away? Yeah. Well, it was because these two big men from a collection company framed me when they came to the house. They were pounding on the door with their fists. Stefan, please tell me this is a mistake. What is going on? What did they tell you? His gaze dropped to his hands. The bank that finances my car hired their agency to collect either the past due amount or the car. I haven't called them back. Should I? No, I'll handle it, he said. Tomorrow is the first and this month's mortgage payment is due. You might want to check with whoever does the accounting in your office. They might be screwing that up too. Somebody sure isn't doing their job when it comes to my car and credit cards. Without a word, he picked up his clothes and started getting dressed. I guess it had been too much to hope that we see a morning together in bed. But since he just got back in town and all, I figured he had things to do. Would you like me to call for you? I asked. I don't mind and it will save you the extra banking. Dressed completely now and knotting his last shoelace while sitting on the edge of the bed next to me, he answered in a monotone. No, I'll be back tomorrow with the money. Sitting here writing this, I'm not holding my breath. I know that sounds pretty pessimistic, but I'm a realist. He promised he would come back sometime today with the money for the bills. The entire time that I was telling him about the collectors and overdue payments, his face was emotionless. I couldn't see any expression or body language at all, and he didn't even stop dressing. As I think about it now, it was as if his thoughts weren't there or else he didn't really care. But I know he does because he asked me to always be here for him. Yes, he married a spiteful, jealous woman who won't let him go, but he still cares. I know he does. The real queen will always be the woman that pleases and pleasures him best. And there is no denying that's the reason why he was with me last night and has been for a decade. If he could get from her what I've been giving him all these years, then he wouldn't keep coming back. Bringing up the topic of money and bills made me really uncomfortable. I've always believed that when a man puts a roof over your head, it's a woman's job to make sure everything under that roof runs smoothly and the way he likes it. Taking care of the business of life is the man's responsibility. The woman's is to take care of her man. Before leaving the house last night, he put three bills in my hand at the door. I was surprised at how secure I felt having $300 in my hand. And since Stefan was paying off all the bills today, now I can meet the girls at the Beverly Center for a massage and lunch, then go shopping for a few necessary toiletries. Two weeks later, 
I came in the front door as the phone rang. Hello? Hello? May I speak with the owner of 443 Rycrest Ridge Place? Yes, who's speaking? Ma'am, I'm sorry, are you Mrs. Harvell? Who is this? My name is Diallo. I'm a real estate investor and I would like to know if I could come by and speak with you and your husband about your property. What is it that you would like to discuss with us? Because we aren't interested in selling and quite frankly, I don't know how you got our names or this number, so please don't call here again. Ma'am? Um, I mean, Mrs. Harvell, I understand that this is a difficult situation. I'm not trying to take up a lot of your time. Give me 10 minutes, and in that time, I promise to show the two of you a few options that will be beneficial to y'all, as well as to the buyer. No, I don't think you can show us anything. I banged the receiver into his cradle. What is wrong with these nuts? For Pete's sake, it's ringing again. Damn, I can't believe this guy has the nerve to call back. Your number is on my caller ID screen. And if, Mrs. Harvell, Mrs. Harvell, would you please let me finish? No, listen here. If you call back again, I promise I will report you to the police. Do you under, yes, I understand. But would you please take my number in case you change your mind? Because I would really like to help before it's too late. Before what's too late? Man, what the hell are you talking about? Before the house goes into foreclosure and affects your credit. Foreclosure? What makes you think that our house is in foreclosure? You live at 443 Rycrest Ridge Place, right? He asked. Yeah, but our house isn't in foreclosure. Not yet, but at this time it's considered distressed property. By whom? Where did you get your information? You are so wrong and I don't want this information posted somewhere with my husband's and my address on it. So tell me, where did you get this information at? Ma'am? I've been buying repo property, calling up or just stopping by to do a face-to-face -face with the borrowers for a little over 12 years now. I have a lot of experience with Denal. Are you sure that your husband isn't keeping this from you? Is his name on the notice of sale? To answer your question, I got this information from the notice of sale that was filed at the court by the trustee office on August 31st. I'm confused because the notice of sale is always posted in a conspicuous place on the property at least 21 days before the sale. In your case, you don't have much time because the notice of trustee sale has been recorded at the courthouse and that is done 14 days before the sale. This is wrong. I don't even know what a notice of sale is or what it looks like. Well, the notice of sale was filed by a trustee's office that most likely was hired through your lender. I'm not sure if you and your husband are living together, but legally, the sale can't happen if the property steps weren't taken to notify the borrower, both through certified mail and the postal service. It takes close to a year before a property in California is foreclosed on. Are you sure that he doesn't know about the situation with the property? Maybe he does and is keeping it from you so you won't worry. I, I don't know. This is scary for me. The notice has Mr. Stephon's Harvell's name on it, the property address, lender name, and trustee's office contact. I don't usually do this, but would you like me to give you their number? Yes, please. That would help so much. I said while I was scrambling swiftly looking for a pen and notepad that was missing off the counter next to the phone in the kitchen. You can contact Kennedy, Greenberg, and Gibson Law Firm in Beverly Hills. The trustee's name is Attorney Leonard Greenberg. Why don't you take down my phone number and if I can help you in any way, call me. My fingers were unsteady as I hung up and pressed the numbers to make a call. 
Hello, can I speak with Leonard Greenberg, please? Your name, Carrie Strong. What is your call in reference to? My property. I was told that your firm found something down at the courthouse or something like that. Okay, thank you, Ms. Strong. Please hold. Hello, Ms. Strong. My name is Attorney Lena Greenberg. What can I help you with? Yes, Attorney Greenberg. I just received a strange call from a gentleman interested in purchasing our home. Um, um, I can hear the sound of paper shuffling through the phone. Okay. And Miss Strong, you are calling me for what reason? I am calling you because he had a notice of sale that had your name and your firm down as the trustee. Our house isn't for sale or in foreclosure, so there has to be some kind of mistake. Well, I've been known to make those before, he said in a sarcastic way. Can you give me the account number? I don't have the account number. What's the name of the property and the address? The mortgage is in the name of Stefan Harvell. The address is 443 Rycrest Ridge. I heard him saying something. I know the address. Your file is right here on my desk. Miss Strong, you are presently living in the house, right? Presently? What do you mean by presently? Why wouldn't I be living there? This is my house. I felt myself getting defensive. Would someone please try and make some sense of this? I am the attorney assigned to your delinquent mortgage account. What delinquent account? Well, Miss Strong, your mortgage lenders, the Westland Mortgage Company, has retained our firm to collect on your loan. Right now, your loan is in foreclosure, and if it's possible, we would like to get it reinstated. It doesn't sound like you were aware of this, right? It was a rhetorical question. I never had a chance to answer before he went right in with the firm's spill. We need to collect on your outstanding seven months of payments. Seven months? I clutched the phone tighter. Did you say seven? Yes. Mr. Mr. I'm sorry, um, I forgot your name. Greenberg. Leonard Greenberg. What you're saying right, uh, what you're saying can't be right. Your records have got to be wrong. Even if I could hear the note of panic creeping into my voice, I took a deep breath. <sighs> then another. Okay, Miss Strong, it could be an error on our part. Have you yourself made any payments? The pretense of cooperation was a farce. He knew I was behind with payments or he wouldn't be talking to me. Mr. Greenberg, I don't make the mortgage payments. My nervous and unsure I paused. For the first time in 10 years, I was unable to define what Stefan was to me or I to him. Friends, pay the notes. The mortgage is in his name and he has his personal assistant make the payments on this loan. Can you please call him? His first name is Stefan, last name Harvell. The number is 555, Miss Strong? 5287, yes. We called Mr. Harvell's office because we showed prior payments on this account were made through them. We were informed that Mr. Harvell no longer wishes to be contacted in preference to this loan. His assistant in the office gave us your contact number. Whoa, whoa. Who in his office said what? Whoever it was is lying. Stefan would never do this. They're lying. Just liars. That's what they are. Every last person down there. Panic overrode reason, and I screamed into the receiver, please try and calm down, Miss Strong. I can't believe that this is a surprise to you. According to my records, two certified notices were sent to his office. The first letter was a 90-day and the second a 60-day notice from your lender prior to it being referred to our firm. He never told me. Trembling, I edged backwards to find a chair.
Are you sure? His voice dripped in disbelief because the receipt shows that a Michelle Wiggins signed for both notices. There is a note here from the collection counselor who actually did speak with Mr. Harvell two weeks ago about reinstatement and he wasn't interested in anything that he had to say. There wasn't any notice that came here. I ground out between clenched teeth. Calm down. Calm down. I lowered myself to the arm of the couch and clutched the back to keep myself upright. Well, Miss Strong, there was a notice posted in a conspicuous place on your property. Usually they try and tack it to the door. It was posted on August 31st, the same morning that we found it with the courts. Do you have anyone else living with you? No, I can't think right now. Have you spoken with Mr. Harvell about the mortgage? No, yes. And could I ask what he said? Nosy prying bastard. The last time that I saw him or talked with him was the night before the first of this month. I reminded him that the mortgage and the car payment were due the next day. He promised to come back then with some money, but he didn't. I thought he must have had his accountant pay them. Well, Miss Strong, we are sorry to hear that, but the mortgage is in his name. And if we don't get the account brought up to date by closing on the day of this month, which is a Friday, then come Tuesday morning on, of next week, we'll foreclose on the property. How long do I have before you do anything? Shit. Until the end of the month. That gives you or Mr. Harvell about two weeks. His voice faded out. Then I heard the receiver disconnect. Oh, dear God, please don't let this happen to me. I grabbed the glass from out of the kitchen cabinet above the counter where the phone pad was and filled it up with cold water from the refrigerator. Where's my phone book? Here it is, on top of the wicker coffee table in the sunroom. I don't care if I have to go down to his office in person. Someone is going to tell me something. I pushed the numbers on the dial pad, missed one, and had to do it over. Hello, this is Carrie. Is Stefan there? No, he isn't. Is this Michelle? Yes, it is. Michelle, I need to know, have you heard from him? No, not today. Do you know if he has been getting all of my messages? Well, I know he got the ones that you've left with me, and I believe that he also has gotten the messages you've left with other people here in the office. Yesterday, I overheard one of the girls relaying them when he called. This is really an emergency. Do you know where he was when he called? No, I don't. Would you like to leave another message for him? Michelle, let me ask you something. Who is responsible for making sure that the mortgage is paid at our house and the note on my car? Our house, she asks. I could almost see a carefully penciled eyebrow raise. Yes, our house, where Stefan and I live. Damn, the snob. Carrie, I'm not sure that anyone here deals with that. It must be something that Mr. Harvell takes care of himself. We only handle his business and professional accounts. He generally takes care of his own personal business. Well, if you don't know where he is, would Lawton his accountant? I'm not sure. Lon's mother is in the hospital, seriously ill. So we really haven't heard much from him. I don't know what else to do. I've emailed him every day for the last four days, but he hasn't replied. Michelle, things are very serious at home. I swallowed. I tried to keep, keep from screaming. I understand, Carrie, but I have to go. There's another call coming in. I'll let Mr. Harvell know you phone. The receiver went dead in my ear. I grabbed a throw pillow and held it to my chest rocking back and forth in the wicker basket chair, taking a sip of water to calm me down. The blinds were drawn in case more collectors came looking for me. Stefan, or just a way to get in. 
Damn it. I don't know any other way to get in contact with him since his show went on hiatus last week. Him and the guys are somewhere on a promotional tour for their movie. I get angry every time I see one of those movie trailers. Between the television series, the amateur show in New York and his movie career, it appears there things are going well for him. Then there are the blissful interviews where he never misses mentioning how much he loves his wife and kids. And the photos where she gazes at him adoringly. What an asshole he is. Why the hell won't he call me? It can't be because of his wife. She never controlled what he did before. Maybe he is seeing another woman. Hell, what am I doing? I'm not going to beat myself up wondering if he is seeing another woman. I could ask him if I could find him. But I know what kind of answers I'll get. Shit. He will lie when the truth will do. Stay tuned for the fourth and final reading of Men Will Lie When the Truth Will Do, His King, His Queen, and His Other Woman. Woo! People, we are almost done. I would like to know how you all feel about this situation and why you are letting me know. Could you please like and share this video and subscribe to Geneva's Closet if you haven't already done so right here on YouTube. And you can follow me on Facebook at what? At Geneva's Closet. And you can email me at Closet 22 at gmail.com. You all have a fabulous day and I will talk to you later. Bye.